0: Hello and welcome to the Sports Technology Podcast. In this, our seventh episode, we talk with Doyle and Sean from the Rapid Prototyping Lab at Burton Snowboards. More information and relevant links can be found on our website, sportstechnologypodcast.com. And we're also on Twitter at sportstechpod and Facebook. Enjoy.
1: Hello and welcome to our seventh episode of the Sports Technology Podcast. Uh, I'm Mike Vasquez here today with Henry. Hi. And we got two guests in studio today from Burton Snowboards. We have Doyle. Say hi. How's it going? And we have Sean as well. Henry. So, great. So how about we uh, just start with a quick intro? Uh, maybe Doyle, if you want to start first, just kind of um, tell us a little bit about yourself.
2: Wow, you got a minute? Yeah. All right, I'll I'll try to be really brief. I'm I'm probably one of the older guys in Burton snowboards and that makes me probably the luckiest guy there, but I've been in uh, snowboarding since uh, 1987 or so, and I've been with Burton since 1996. I started out as a assistant product manager in bindings and have sort of over time uh, worked into more of an overall uh, R&D role. And uh, these days, I manage the uh, uh, rapid prototyping lab with Sean and our other colleague John Cross work in and uh, the prototyping workshop at our main headquarters working with all the engineers and we have uh, design engineers in China that are also in our group. Great, and Sean? Yeah,
3: so um, I started snowboarding when I was a little kid, home mountain and um, I went to school at the University of Vermont and always knew I wanted to work for Burton. I started out volunteering with local reps, doing demo tours, just getting involved in events, and uh, pretty much anything I could that involved snowboarding, just because it was a strong passion of mine. And um, through mechanical engineering, is the degree I got at UVM. I uh, got an internship through our engineering department, and uh, started in the testing group, uh, was hired at a school, and uh, I now work with Chris Doyle. Um, running the Rapid Prototype shop, and working product development.
1: Okay, so maybe why don't we just start a little bit with the, with that. How about um, tell us a little bit about the Rapid Prototyping um, area. So I, the way I know you guys is um, I spent about four months of the last two years working with you guys there, but maybe tell the audience a little bit about what you do and how you integrated it into kind of new designs or new prototypes for?
3: Yeah, sure. So we, uh, we, have, we have two main machines in our rapid prototype lab, but the, the whole concept behind rapid prototyping is to be able to take a concept from an engineer, um, a 3D CAD model, and get a physical part. Um, a few years ago we used to have to send those files out to a, a factory to create a proto-tool. It was a long process. It would take a few months. With our new machines, we can take a 3D CAD file and have a a physical part in the engineer's hand the next day.
1: Rather than making a complete mold or a complete new mold for every time you want to make a part.
3: So we have machines
1: that can actually grow parts or print 3D parts
3: to give to the engineers. And this is really key for them going through the design cycle to be able to have a new part and test it, um, look at the new curves, look at the ID, see how everything fits and functions. Um, But the cool thing about one of our machines, SLS, uh, Selective Laser Sintering, is that you can actually test the part in the lab and on snow. So a CAD engineer can give us the 3D file, we print the part, and we can go on snow and ride it the next day and get a feel for the actual new design.
1: So it's a quick turnaround then. So in about almost 24 hours, you can go from something completely new on, um, on the computer screen and have it out, having your guys ride it.
3: Exactly, and that just increases our speed to market and just increases the whole design cycle just being able to turn around product that quickly. Um, And we also have a a second machine called a 3D printer. Um, It's a polyjet printer that um, prints layer by layer a a 3D file. Um, These ones aren't writable. You can't test them, but they they have really high detail, and they're great for our creative group to look at the, the lines and the curves and how the part actually looks.
0: So before you started using this technology in-house, was it something, like, would you still get it done? You just ship it out, or would would the design cycle time just be much slower? Like Would you still try and test everything?
2: Well, like, maybe- you know, I might as well speak on that one, because Sean's never known the place without the SLS machine, <laughs> so, but, uh, you know, back in the day, we um, used to use uh, stereolithography, which... When parts would come out of the stereolithography machine they were like glass and you had to handle them very gingerly and I saw engineers crying on the ground and they would (laughs) drop one and it would just shatter. Um, So we used SLA which was a way that we could take a CAD model and actually get a look at it but we couldn't really do anything with it so it was really just very visual and if we wanted to actually make something that we wanted to go and test and do on snow it was a lot of hand fabrication which is what I was doing at the time. And honestly, when we got the CAD machine and the first time I saw parts coming out of that, I frankly thought I was out of a job. And uh, <laughs> so it's been really great to actually uh, grow my capabilities and what I can contribute to the company just with the with the, the addition of the SLS and the, the, the object 3D printer as well. So with
1: these technologies, it seems that you've kind of had this huge capability of really making a lot of different designs very quickly. How do you integrate that with... What your riders want, or who is your customer? Are you looking at your kind of top level elite guys, or are you kind of the the Joe Schmo that goes a couple times a year just to, to get on the snow? Who's kind of your target audience, and where do you design? Um, who you design tech for?
2: Well, our team drives us. Our okay. team is is for sure the target, and they are the people that we work with all the time. And the team is the your team top, is our level. top level yeah. global team riders, uh, Sean. Um, sort of doing something that I used to do back in the day where uh, he's traveled around this past winter being the technician where he tunes the riders boards and sets up their bindings and make sure their boots and everything are correct and he's the guy that's standing out there freezing his butt off on the snow during the contests you know but he's like the team riders just love having him around because they have such confidence that their equipment is tight and right when they, when they drop in to do what they do today. And, um, um, one of the great things about that is we're right there with the
3: riders and you can get immediate feedback from them. So when something goes wrong or when they
2: want something different, it's immediate feedback from the riders to me, to the Hard Goods group. Right, so we consider that to be sort of frontline R&D and that was something that I did when I first came on at Burton back in 96 and was doing that prior to that. That that alone being with the team riders, not only is it um, seeing what goes wrong with it and we can correct that but just observationally when you watch the riders ride you learn an awful lot and you can say okay that's his style maybe I can tweak his equipment to do this and if you end up with limitations then we can design new equipment in order to uh, you know, make that rider not have that limitation anymore. So it's a very observational thing, and contact with the team riders is everything. And we feel that, even as you said, Mike, the Joe Schmo and the Jane Schmo and all of the guys and the girls that save their money hard so they can go ride that five times a year, they aspire to that team rider to be as good, or to you know that is what they're looking forward to. And we find that. When we aim for the team rider, we satisfy the customer that's just out there on a more casual and a recreational level because the equipment is there for them. Right. and We, we also have rider round tables a few times a year where
3: we get to meet with the, the athletes at a meeting and go through our design process and they get direct input to all of our product managers. But, but then on a more consumer level, we also get a lot of feedback from our sales reps we're there in the shops with the dealers and the kids, you know, throughout the year and they give a lot
0: of feedback to our sales organization, who then in turn kind of directs us a little bit. So when, when you're trying to make an improvement, you get the you get the feedback from they'll say, like we want it a little bit a little bit stiffer here, a little bit more bendy here for, for bindings or, or boards. So there's there's that you can work towards, but is there anything that's more like globally like we know it would be better if we could if we could just do this, but maybe the materials aren't, aren't there right now are there any like big kind of
2: I would say yes we, yeah. we're always looking towards the future I mean one of the reasons that we worked with Mike is because Mike's an expert materials engineer who is you know pushing us to, to um, learn new materials and, and with those new materials we're able to say okay now we can do even more things with our right. bindings or our boards I mean when it really boils right down to it it's kind of funny we we make better snowboarding equipment because we want better snowboarding equipment, and that goes right back to the very first day that Jake made his first board in his shop in the barn in Manchester in 1977. Went out and rode it, and came back and said, "Okay, I'm going to make it better," and and that tradition continues on to this day. So, in a way, it's kind of selfish, you know. We we are really fortunate that we have the keys to you know the Craig Kelly prototype shop at Burton Snowboards and you know that's a great playground <laughs> we get to go in there and we just you know every day you know especially during the winter you know we'll just go out and ride come back it really generates new ideas and to kind of really answer your question uh, Henry on, on a real global level we try to take a hard look at the market see what the market needs but we're always pushing new technologies and trying to incorporate it into into our products. And that, that's one of the great things about working at
3: Burton is this, uh, the whole culture of the company is so immersed in snowboarding that you know, we can go out and ride every morning before work, you know, test some products. Sounds just fantastic. Have fun. <laughs> yeah, it's it's amazing. And then you know, if you work late into the evening or the night and you get your work done, but it's just that that passion for snowboarding that really drives the company. We
2: always want to make a better product. We will still say that it is good work if you can get it. <laughs> That's why I'm still feeling <laughs> it. And I can't complain. Okay. So your kind of
1: average consumer is, even your your elite guys are fairly young, does that help in kind of when you introduce new technology or um, some new product, are they more receptive to change or is it kind of just a balance with... It's funny, it
2: kind of depends. I I really feel like every year the enthusiasts in our sport are looking for the new kit, they're looking for the new gear, you know, so that magazine comes out and hits the first one that hits in August, you know, and... uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of enthusiasm that comes with that. And then when the new product hits the dealer stores, you know, it's usually a pretty big event. So I would say year by year, there's a lot of enthusiasm for the new products amongst our hardcore riders. And to your, to your, um, question about the age, I would say that, you know, when you're, when you're younger or even throughout your life, if you're enthusiastic about something, you really Mm -hmm. want to have it and you want to see what the newest and the latest thing. And there are early adopters. And then there are people that are like, okay, I'm going to, Get through another season with my board and my boots, but I'm saving my dough for the next thing.
1: Okay. So one thing I've kind of been, um, maybe we can go back to what you were talking about a little bit with the uh, the team kind of interactions with with the engineers. Yeah, sure. um, is there? How do you kind of get the right information from them in terms of if a guy goes down the hill? Like, how do you kind of isolate? Okay, we need to make this strap a little bit tighter or this this high back a little bit stiffer. Like is that kind of just an art in itself? Is really kind of not only knowing your technology, but knowing the rider and how they kind of perceive. Yeah, definitely. I
3: mean, each rider has a different personality. Some will be really technical and know exactly what they want and tell you something very specific, where other riders will just be like oh I don't like the snowboard and, and you don't really know what that means and you kind of have to dive in and work with them and you know go out and try a few different products with them and kind of really go through it to, to understand what each rider wants yeah.
2: it's very observational it, it, it's something when you said you know is there an art to it over over the time that I've been doing this I've really learned to watch riders and like Sean says each has their own personality and their own style and you know, once you get to know them, you sort of know right away when they're on and when they're not and when something is working for them and when it's not. and, And when it's not, you can sort of, by observation, if they're not as verbal. And again, many of these people don't speak great English if they're from you know European countries or whatever. You really have to be very observational and, and see what's going on. And then sometimes it's just up to us because maybe they can't really articulate what they're feeling and you can think to yourself or observe and say, okay, let me change this. And you'll make some adjustments and send them out again. And then, again, observing what they do and how they ride, you take that feedback and use it to, to get to where you need to be. And, um, and you know, it's a tough job, you know, you gotta go out and just do do runs, you know, with with guys like Pechu and Terrier, and uh, yeah, it's really yeah. hard. Yeah. <laughs> it's, not, it's really hard. It's like, I mean,
3: probably the hardest part is keeping up. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, another cool thing we do at the Riders is something called development camps, where we go to certain resorts and we invite a bunch of our athletes and a bunch of the engineers and product people go out we just bring all kinds of prototypes and, and we tools, and tools, and and tools, all kinds of stuff, and we just work with the riders. You know, we just schedule times for like boards. Just let's try all these new prototype boards. Or next day's binding. Let's try all these different straps, high backs, and stuff yeah. that you
1: would have made with the the SLS yeah, machine.
2: Sure. SLS, or in the in the prototype board shop in the Craig's board shop, or by hand. Many of things things can be fabricated by hand. Still, we're still doing a lot of that. Okay. Yep. No, because even when you make parts in <clears throat> SLS, you still
3: have to make them function, you yeah. know, whether you're riveting things together or glueing like things
2: on or something yeah. like that. So. And, uh, and those are things, you know, as we go through the year, as Sean said, we'll have two or three of these development camps with the riders, and, and we try to like leapfrog our concepts with them. So some concepts at these camps are like way out there, really roughed out basic ideas whereas others are much more closer to being finished products and we will have the riders test a range of different things and so the things that are coming close to being honed in for product will really get the final touches on those whereas the other things will find out what what concepts maybe have some uh, viability with the riders that they'll actually like and others that maybe we just shelve and put away for another time and that way we can the next time we get together with them we'll have even more improved models and that's how it's a three-step process as we bring things to product
1: do the riders ever kind of suggest new new some, new designs sure, or something or is it some, more yeah. one way you're kind of design, like oh, I think it's really collaborative okay. in a lot of
2: ways the riders once the riders become comfortable with us and they kind of get an idea of what it is that we need and how they can communicate and and contribute um, they get right into it with enthusiasm you know
0: okay do do you make many custom parts specifically for individual writers in your team like a, like if if someone wants something specifically odd I suppose it might be. For the
3: most part, no. Most of it's stock, just ordered right from a warehouse, like something that they would ride in competitions. Mm-hmm. But right. there are um, specific cases where we'll make uh, a snowboard for a rider if they want a very specific size. Okay. Um, but as far as like flexor materials for riders, it's generally the input is put into
2: a production model board. Yeah, we really like to
3: make it so that the
2: uh, the, the customer, the rider out there, I hate to call them consumers. Yeah. They're not consumers, they're riders. So okay. the rider that actually buys our product gets to ride the same board as the person that they look up to in the magazines. But for instance, like with bindings and boots, we will set that up specifically for the team rider, make the specific adjustments, maybe a little bit of extra pad here, or uh, you know, really just dial it in for them. And that's what we'll do for the team riders. Okay. So, so they don't get custom equipment. No. Yep.
1: Yeah. So compare, like we've in other episodes, we've talked about kind of um, different sports like golf or tennis, where they have a lot of regulations on something like the racket or the golf club head, right. so you can't hit it too hard or too fast or whatnot. And there's not really that in snowboarding. So, what are you designing towards? Are you designing? Um, is it really case by case that you, if someone wants a really fast board or some more comfort or like, is there one kind of design? criteria that you always are kind of striving to get better at? Or is there just a couple um, couple really top ones that are I'm important to say, riders?
2: I'm gonna say lighter. Yeah. Anything that's lighter is better, faster. Um, there are different boards. Let's say if a rider is a half pipe specialist, they're gonna ride a different type of a board and it's gonna be set up and tuned differently than a rider that is a park or a slope style specialist okay, or a big air, um, so I would say that you customize for that, but you're right, there's, there's really no li- regulations or limitations, you can make the board as little as you want, as big as you want, as wide as you want, as thick as you want, it just doesn't matter. But does that make
1: it a little bit more challenging in terms of when you design? Like you, At least we're not like constrained, a, Right. <laughs> okay,
2: we're only constrained
3: by what we can do. Right. And the, the one thing we are constrained by are the testing requirements that we set internally. Okay. Um, there are some standards out there to say it has to have this pullout strength. Yeah, that's the only standard. Yeah, okay. So is that so
1: like an internal Burton, yes. Burton standard rather than kind of industry-wide?
3: Right. We, we set a lot of testing procedures and standards uh, within our company. So that when we come up with a new design, we can validate it and we know that it's safe to bring to market. Right. right. So this could be, you know, uh, just bending a board in half seeing when it breaks or impacting a high back or something of that nature. We, we have
2: tests for all these things and we can do them cold. We can simulate warm either way. Right. There's over 70 tests that we specify for a snowboard. We have something like 45 tests for bindings, okay. um, things like that. But there is only one. Um, industry mandated standard as Sean said and that's for um, insert or channel pull out strength. Yeah. So okay. many news for pull out. That's the only one. Other so that, um, just for
1: just to be clear for the listeners if um, the channel yeah. pull out is just so the bindings don't come correct. out of ru- ru- ru-
2: from the correct. board or ru- So the, board. the bindings don't pull out of the inserts or out of the channel, that's correct. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. And all the other testing requirements were uh, set internally.
0: Are those like safety other safety and quality type things or
2: Safety and quality. Yeah, okay. uh, safety so quality have. and performance I would like to say too. Okay. Because so when, awesome. we're, when we're flexing a board, uh, that board has to flex to its design parameters so that you know that board is designed and riding the way the engineer intended it to. So okay. um, we, we have a lot of the overall global flex and then specific area flexes. We flex in torsion, we crack tips, we peel top sheets off, we smack sidewalls, we break edges. Uh, one of our favorite tests is what we call the bat wing, and that's where a board is just put into the machine and, just like Sean said, bent in half until it snaps and it goes off like a gunshot. <laughs> and it's, and it's people be walk through the lab not know right. what's about to happen and, and just they're jump of your skin. It's great, and you have to, you know, it's, you can tell who the new people are and who the vets are because we have a lot of brainstorming meetings back in my workshop, and the and the testing lab is right on the other side of the room. There's no walls, no doors, or anything. And, And they'll be over there batwing breaking boards and like a couple of good ones will go off, you know, and people are diving under tables. (laughs) But what's really fun is the guys that are doing the testing, they've been with us, uh, you know, Jim's been with us for 18 years. We're celebrating his 18 year birthday today. Chris has been with us for 12 years. Those guys have broken more snowboards than Anybody in the world, right? Yeah. And when they get a good one, to this day they still give off like a woohoo, you know, yeah. and things go off really well. So they like their jobs.
3: Yeah, it's, it's impressive when uh, some people come through our lab
2: and they just see stacks and stacks of broken snowboards. Like, oh, I can't
0: believe you broke these. Like, <laughs> Can unfortunately, I get one.
2: Unfortunately, many boards are uh, are born to die in the testing lab, but it's all for a good cause.
1: Can you tell us a little bit about the structure of the R&D Department at Britain? Just kind of like how's it kind of uh, divided? like boards, bindings, or like kind of what the, the personnel is like? Yeah, you know.
3: yeah, sure. So under our uh, VP of Hard Goods, we have kind of three silos, if you say. So we have boots, boards, and bindings, um, and then we have our R&D group, which is we have a new Craig's Protoshop facility right next door from our offices, and it's all it is is prototyping. We can we can out just just make boards for pure prototyping, and that's also where our R and D facility is for the rapid prototyping. Um, so it's pretty much it's those four silos, um, and like Doyle said previously, we work with uh, China CAD engineers um, that report to Doyle, and um, we just but it's it's really a, a collaborative group. Um, it's 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 organized
2: that way, but we all work together mm-hmm. for the same common goal. Right, we work as a big team. There's several engineers that are specifically dedicated to the boards group, and then there's specific engineers dedicated to bindings and boots as well. And so, each one of these groups is um, responsible for developing their own R and D and and that, and then we are responsible for turning that R and D and those ideas into actual physical things that we can test, ride, and do all the different things that we do. So it's not like many companies where the R&D group is this misty black box that's like locked away in some room and nobody can get access to them, we're actually very open and uh, and we work very collaboratively with each other across um, from engineering to R&D to product and I think that that's one of the things that really helps us to be successful because um, it really helps out with communication. You know, if, if just one group is developing something and then throws it across a closed wall to another group, they don't really know what the design intent was or how to take it from there. So we really try to make sure that we have um, very close relationships with the engineers that are doing the development work and us that are doing the prototyping work. And so it's an overall team And even when
1: I was there, you guys would have meetings out in the... Like Friday meetings out on the slopes to kind of get feedback on Absolutely. on parts that were made that Absolutely. week.
2: So yeah, Friday morning we get together everything that we made all week and the whole and you know all of product, the engineering and development would be out taking runs and uh, and working out uh, design uh, challenges and problems or new ideas Mm -hmm. on the chairlift and the coolest thing about that is you only have about three and a half or four minutes to talk and then you've got to get off and ride and then you get to go do it again
1: (laughs) so i mean that's a huge advantage i would say like in terms of other people in the industry is there really anyone that has those capabilities of really kind of rapid prototyping additive manufacturing
3: within the snowboard industry there we are the only company with those capabilities which definitely gives us a huge advantage just being able to We'll go through the design cycle quicker and get products
2: out to the marketplace. And I'm just going to say, like, even though Nike thinks they're in the snowboard industry, they're really not. So those guys <laughs> have all that stuff, but whatever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that so, just came from
3: me. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's, it's great that our, our Racket Prototype Lab works with all product groups within Burton boots, boards, bindings, goggles, red helmets. We do stuff for outerwear. You know, anywhere we can help out, we, we lend a okay. hand.
0: Oh, that's great. Um, I I looked at, I watched some of the videos of um, of productions of boards themselves and it's it's a very hand intensive process a like very very handmade item Absolutely. which I was a bit surprised about is is the prototyping procedure quite similar to the manufacturing exactly it's just the same same
2: crafts handmade craft made products mm-hmm. and the people that are making these boards are craftspeople. Mm -hmm. You know hardcore make it by hand all of our boards wherever they're made all the way around the world are still made by hand
3: yeah all the process they're almost identical Uh, prototyping of the manufacturing it's built same
0: way Um, how long would it from from start to finish just a board
2: well, you know, it's it's not like we really time out one board from start to finish yeah. because it is sort of it's not like necessarily an assembly line, but we have it broken out to where there's uh, a group of people that make all the different components of the board that go into it mm-hmm. in preparation for it to to the next stage, which we call layup, where all the different pieces are assembled, and then it gets cooked in the oven for about eight minutes, it comes out of the uh, comes out of the press, um, and then it goes on into all the finishing processes. So if you were to take one board start to finish you know it's a several hour process but it's kind of a it has a flow through the factory mm-hmm. i do i will say that um the builders uh that are building boards they build an individual builder will lay up anywhere between 30 and 45 boards a day depending oh. on the complexity of the board being made
0: still mean a couple hours isn't that long when you're thinking about it no especially for prototyping it's easy to get a couple of iterations out in a day
2: absolutely absolutely that's one of the coolest things about um our prototype guys have all been doing it for an awful long time and they've made so many different boards you know when you're in the manufacturing arena it's it's sort of uh, standardized here all the different pieces and parts they're cut to the certain sizes but when you hand the prototype guy a new design they have to make the core a different shape they have to you know, cut everything and shape everything specific to that new design. And many times we actually have to make the mold and the press for that new board design so it can take quite a bit longer. Mm -hmm.
1: Okay, so so what's on the horizon then? Like, what are you guys excited about in terms of R&D? Is there any general direction that kind of excites you guys? Like, maybe lighter boards or smaller boards? Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) definitely. But is there one thing that kind of, like a board that you'd like to see kind of made or, um,
3: Oh, I mean, there's always stuff that we're working on. Um, this you know, is where ever, we give you
2: vague answers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is where it gets really missed yeah. to hear Sean sitting here going, well, what can oh. I really say? Or is there,
1: or maybe just talk about kind of, uh, a, a recently launched product that kind of you felt like just the whole yeah. process of going through the R and D process really worked well.
3: Yeah, that's the first thing that came to mind for me. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. we, we have a, a new board that you ride uh, ten, about ten centimeters shorter than your typical board, and it's a little bit wider waist width as well, and it's just a super fun board. It's uh, it's great in powder because of the V rocker, and uh, it's just, it's just a really cool new technology. Cause you know I ride a 158, but now I'm riding a 146. And yeah, it's people astonishing. Yeah, people yeah. just look at me like I'm riding to some little kid's board. Right, that. <laughs> you know, it's it's great because the uh, the effective edge is just as long as the board you normally ride, so you can still control your board at high speeds. But it's short, so it's easier to just jump, spin around, hit
2: rails, so turn playful. quickly in the trees. Yeah, very playful. Yeah, and the Nug is the brainchild of uh, a guy we gotta, we can't go through talking about r and at Burton Snowboards without mentioning JG. Uh, JG has been with the company since 1982, all right? Oh. He was an original, one of the original racers, and uh, he was a guy that at one time, he was actually a dealer, but he sold Burton Snowboards out of the back of his station wagon, and that qualified as a dealer in the early <laughs> 80s, and, uh, but G has been with the company since 82 and he's I would like to say that he's responsible for a lot of the progression in snowboard design over the years and the Nug is really kind of his latest brainchild and it came from the fact that he's also a really accomplished surfer enthusiastic surfer and he's been running shorter and shorter surfboards and he kind of was thinking to himself well why the heck am I still running these big long snowboards And so we just started working again with the guys at the Craig's prototype shop and the board engineers saying, okay, how can I run a much shorter board and have something that's fast and playful and super fun um, and lighter and everything, yet still perform the way I want to. And so it's been about a year and a half. And I remember the first time that he came into my workshop with this itty bitty little board and I was like, oh, is that a, you know, is that a kid's board or whatever? And and he's like, no, I've been riding this, and uh, and and you know, and then all of a sudden I started getting word from other people. that just come in all bug-eyed, like, oh my gosh, the nug it was incredible, you know. And I just remember the first time I got on it, I was a bit skeptical, and after one run, I was just completely blown away. And and so when you have something like that, where here's an idea from this guy that goes through our process and it just comes to life, and it just changes the way we do things. Uh, it's pretty remarkable, and G's done that repeatedly over the years, he's a, he's a pretty remarkable guy.
1: That's great. So I think we'll probably wrap up there, but I think maybe one thing to highlight is um, the Craig's Prototype Lab that you guys have been mentioning the whole time. People can actually, if they're in Burlington, go take a tour of it. That's
2: right. Yeah, absolutely. You have to come on in, you get together with our archivist, Todd Coleman, yep. he's, uh, he's the only Archivist in the entire snowboard industry that I know of and he is responsible for the entire history of Burton snowboards He manages Jake's misty warehouse of all the old things anything that Jake has Todd is responsible for He's gone through everything and the guy is a walking encyclopedia of the snowboard history and he's the guy that takes tours through the building, yes. So we yeah. do. Yeah, you can come tours. over and just see the entire
3: process. You can come check out our rapid prototyping lab, watch our machines run, and uh, just go through the entire process right. of seeing a board built. It's pretty cool.
1: Awesome, guys. We've so, uh, been Jerry's, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Except <laughs> we don't give out
2: ice cream. <laughs> yeah.
1: So, great. I think we'll end there. And uh, thanks again for stopping in studio Thank
2: today. Okay. Thanks for having thanks. us. Great yeah. fun. Great fun.
1: Thanks
0: again. All right. All right. Uh, one other question I have is um, whether you've used FEA in any of your design or testing.
2: Like you mean computational modeling? Yeah. <laughs> yeah <it's> finite <laughs> element um, analysis. So. Uh, yeah, finite element analysis. Um, it's it's kind of funny. Those are things that are a big part of the SOLIDWORKS design suite, which is what the engineers use to create the CAD models, uh, which is computer-aided design models that, that guys like Sean and John make uh, our prototypes out of. And what we have discovered is... That the FEA really only gives us a small part of maybe the information that we need, and, um, and it's not nearly as good as going through our actual physical lab testing. What we, what I kind of laugh, I, I've sort of discovered and I call it a lot of times is a eyeball FEA <laughs> or uh, the hand flex FEA. You know, it's uh, I feel that we can get almost as much just because of our level of experience and how much we've done with things that we can almost get better than FEA just by hand feeling. Uh, To go back to talk about JG again just for a minute, the guy um, has such a calibrated hand and arm when he flexes a snowboard that he can flex a snowboard and give you what we call our EI number, which is a measurement of how the board flexes. And he's usually within two or three points, like out of a 257 EI, he'll be like 254. And he'll be able to tell between a 254 and a 261, okay? so fea is really marginally helpful for us
0: yeah i think i think it's i think it's similar in a lot of the sport tech industry i mean it's difficult to get on, on things that rely on, on so much of a human response right? like the feel how do you i think so it's there's lot, no like feel
3: i mean i don't know sean what do you think about that yeah i mean a lot of our product just has so many like different aspects to it like you think of a high back all the ways that it moves and flexes it's it's really difficult to characterize that that, right. that that overall feel and flex in a computer and model. Yeah, and
1: by the time you've kind of finished your FEA model, you could have built 15 different prototypes all
3: with different. All. Yeah,
0: It's a lot more fun that way, too. Yeah, <laughs> We, we use
1: FEA for
3: our um, testing fixtures for the testing lab mm-hmm. um, to make sure they're up to the standards and strong enough to test all our products right, so it won't blow
2: up as you're testing it. <laughs> right, yeah. right. But... Um, yeah, minimal for a uh, actual product. But FEA makes these really cool, pretty pictures that we can use and that, like, makes <laughs> us look really tech. So every now and then we'll do that <laughs> anyway, you know. But
0: Very good. Cool.
3: Thanks. Thanks.